And it is August the 13th, and we're looking at lesson number seven uh, in our study. Uh, I say on the conscience, and we are using the book as a, as a guideline, a little bit of a, an outline for us, and we're up to uh, verses in 1 Timothy that we'll get to. What I've enjoyed about the study, uh, apart from, you know, just dig, dig, dig around the word conscience and all of its applications, but when we find the word used uh, is looking at the context around the word. Last week, we had a change. You know, we moved from uh, uh, the, mo- the motif, the backdrop behind the scriptures of being one of, you know, eating things offered to idols and, and so forth. We moved to a, a totally uh, different thing. Today, we're looking at, Paul, at Paul, uh, Paul's words to Timothy from 1 Timothy, encouraging him on dealing at that point uh, dealing with false teaching in the church. And then once again, he brings in the issue of conscience. So we see how conscience plays a role in that. And the more I dug into that and begin to look at that, what it really is, if I were to, to paint it with a very broad brush, what he's saying, quite frankly, is this. There's nothing more important than the gospel. There's nothing more important than that. And when there's a problem, when there's false teaching, such as was the case uh, at Ephesus where he had left Timothy, uh, then it has to be addressed. So we're talking about false doctrine. And in this case, it's clear it's false doctrine about the gospel, about salvation itself. And it's just interesting to see with the Apostle Paul and his entourage and the people that he had brought forth and the churches had put in place, even among those folks, you had people who began to show their true colors regarding the gospel. And apparently when the gospel became unpopular, uh, when when it became time to kind of stand on a hill, and who knows, in dealing with all the aspects of the gospel, dealing with sin, dealing with repentance, so on and so forth. You throw in the mix about doing things apart from Judaism and so forth. They got some flack from that and chose to change the way that they were presenting the gospel. And Paul said, well, we can't, we can't have that. We can't have that. And he was quick to deal with that and even left Timothy in place there at Ephesus to do that. So that's what uh, 1 Timothy is about um, Paul has has left Timothy there, a young, young preacher, but somebody that he has a tremendous amount of confidence in. He knows that Timothy is the real deal. And while, you know, we we tend to think of Timothy as being timid or whatever, you know, he's certainly young. Uh, He's empowered. He has the power of God in his life to speak the truth. And the Lord uses him, and Paul has a tremendous amount of confidence in him. Nor would he, he would never have left him there to do that. I don't think he left him there because he didn't have anybody else. He left Timothy there for a purpose. So he's preaching and teaching against this doctrinal error, okay? Um, Those people had found their way in, or they had revealed themselves that they weren't true to the gospel and that they were taking opportunity of being before the people to preach something else. And uh, you can imagine how that got Paul's attention. Paul is 
most bold when those things are happening. You see that. He is a staunch defender of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul could say from his own heart, and he'll talk about his own conscience bearing witness, that he knows what happened to him. He knows that he has met uh, the risen Lord. He, he knows what happened to him when the revelation over a period of three years down in Arabia was revealed to him. That is his experience. And he's seen it worked out. He's seen lives changed by the gospel being given out. And that's why I can say it's just, you know, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus and Him crucified. That's, that's it. Everything hangs on the truth of the gospel. And it reminds us of how easy it is to lose focus. How easy it is to move away from that. Even to be involved in all the, the trappings, all the, all the doings of religion and so forth. And we find ourselves being pulled away from the most sacred thing that we have to offer people. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christ, as Paul said, came into the world to save sinners. And he added, of whom I am chief. He never lost sight of what he had been saved from. He talks plainly about a time in his life when he persecuted the church. And this conjures up, brings to mind scriptures that I know you are familiar with. So we always want to look at the context. We always want to look at the heart of Paul as he's uh, being used by the Holy Spirit to literally speak these words and to get action in the church at Ephesus, which needed some, some cleaning up because false doctrine had crept in. Timothy gets, as it's rendered here in a couple of different translations, a charge or a command, as we'll see later, from Paul. Timothy, you got to do this. This is what you have to do. This is first. This is foremost. This is priority. Get it done. That's, that's the message that comes across. It's really a military term. It's, it's, like, it's an order given. There's no, no discussion. It's clear what the order is. Go in, identify this problem, and take care of it. Uh, and your own firm ground in doing it because, again, it deals with the gospel itself, the truth about Christ's sacrifice and so forth. A little bit of information is given about these folks and what they were doing. Uh, and to put it in layman terms, instead of speaking plainly about the doctrines of salvation, talking about repentance and doing all those things, it says they began to... To talk, they were telling stories. It refers to, to idle talk. You know, they were doing things that pleased the listener. They were doing things, saying things that, that tickled the ear, that wound up giving license to people or deluding people. There were people in Ephesus that needed salvation. They needed to hear and respond in the church. Would you not agree that's the case in every church? Absolutely. And they were not getting that message. They were being tolerated in their sin and so forth. So we can go back. Uh, the first scripture is in chapter 1 there, 1 Timothy verse 5. And I marked, a little note says, Mike, read 1 through 11 just to give you the context. So I'm going to do that. Um, you know, Paul had already been there. He'd done some stuff. You remember that guy, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander? They wouldn't change. 
And Paul turned them out of the church. And that's kind of what's been going on, but there's still work to be done there. But if we look at 1 Timothy 1.1, it begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And that's our first focal verse this morning, verse 5, that we'll come back to. From which he says, some having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. One more word about these teachers, more specifically, Paul would indicate here that they kind of wanted to come in and patter themselves after the, the style, if you will, will, of those who continue to teach and preach the law. And you see his response. They're not even qualified to do that. He says, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> really. They don't know. And they certainly don't understand the relationship between the law and the new covenant. And he talks about it there. You know, the law was given, as Paul would say later, to show us what sin is. Okay, there's no salvation in the law. And that's his point. There's no salvation in the law. They had departed from that. And would you not agree? That has to be dealt with in the church, does it not? It's pretty basic. So that's where he's coming from. So in the middle of these 11 verses, we find verse 5. And he says... And I've got, you know, when I, and I'll say again, when I, when I copy these out of the book for reference here, they're in the NIV in this book. So I, I know I bounce back and forth, so just stay with me. Uh, <clears throat> he says in 1 Timothy 5, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What? He, what, what is he talking about when he says charge? What charge is he talking about? Yeah. yeah, and if I understand this right, he's talking specifically about his charge to Timothy to do that. But he's telling Timothy, he's helping Timothy with his, with his motivation. He's saying, look, Timothy, we got to do that. If we truly love these people, we have to do this. And I get the sense that, that Timothy, you know, needed a little, <laughs> a little encouragement. 
We all do sometimes. But he tells him up front, he says, this is our aim. The word means our end, our purpose. You know, this is the conclusion, the intent of what we're doing. This is our desire. There's, there's nothing but love and obedience behind what Paul is asking Timothy to do. This is the work of the preacher. This is on the most basic level. is to preach and to teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And certainly when you know that there's an error in that, there's a problem that's being taught, then it has to be addressed. So there's courage. There's there's boldness required here. I can't imagine what Timothy felt like, okay, What, what he was dealing with emotionally. But Paul had confidence in him because, as we say, Timothy was the real deal. That's what he was. And he knew that he would be obedient. So he gives this charge, this command, and I defined it earlier. It is a military term. And it's, it's very, very strong in its nature. You've got to do this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This is your mission. This is what has to happen. And as I said earlier, you know, uh, get it done. As we say down south here, get her done. Do it. Get it done. And make sure that it's clear to the people. But he says and he adds, he says, this is, this is because of love. This is what is behind this. Love from, he says, a pure heart. A pure heart. Catharsis cardia. Pure heart. And he's talking about that high form of love. It is the word agape. We know what that means. We'll see it over and over again. This is behind what Paul's doing. Why is that important? Why would that be important to Timothy to understand Paul's motivation? And then Paul mentioned it, reminding Timothy, Tim, this is to be your motivation too, okay? Why is that important? Because the motivations of those other guys were not. Exactly. People know that, don't they? They can, they can sense that. They can see that. In, in the way that the, the effort is being made, the way Timothy is carrying this out, his attitude, his demeanor, and so forth. You know, his, his uh, loving expression, if you will. Bold, yes. Staunch when it comes to the gospel. Unmovable, unbendable on the truth of the gospel, but yet loving. And when we think about that dynamic working within us, I don't know about you, but I'm automatically thinking, you know, only the Holy Spirit can do that. We really don't have the wherewithal to do that, or if we can muster it up, to be consistent in that. We have to rely on God's Spirit for that. Anything else is not going to be enough to motivate you either. I mean, when it, when it gets hard. I mean, you think about a mom will do anything out of love for her kid to save her kid, to help her kid, or whatever. Yeah. You know, sell the house if she had to, to love her kid. But if our, if our goal is, if our... Preaching the gospel or teaching the gospel is not motivated by that. We're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And uh, the Bible uses a similar example talking about if we know to do good to our kids, we do what we do for them because we love and care about them. How much more does your heavenly father know to do? And anybody who's raised children knows that. You know, I pull my kids out of the road or whatever. You know, I talk to them. If I have to do it a second time, I give them a different kind of reminder. And it broke my heart. It did. It really broke Melissa's just, heart. Yeah. It just shows our sin. I mean, I mean, how often do we, how do we really love other people? I yeah. Mean, we don't. Yeah. We're, we're lazy and. You know, right. Yeah. 
And we see that application with our kids. You see that application when you're dealing with a brother in sin or a brother or sister who's on the prefaces of some kind of conduct which you know by experience or you know uh, because of what God has done in your life in, in, the, in the past or you can sometimes you can tell instantly that He's prepared you moment you are the church you are the person who's to intervene and to speak truth loving truth into a person's life and yet you know where they are what they're dealing with and you're kind of apprehensive because you might you know you might get a little rebuttal you know you might you might not be received so well and it takes a courage does it not it takes boldness but above all it takes love and commitment to the gospel to the truth of the gospel to the truth of god's word you know, and it's not just specifically about the doctrine of salvation, but other things that we know to be true in the Word of God that guide the way that we think, that guide the, our actions and so forth. With the church, and that's the way He gets the Word out. Apart from His Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word, He uses us to speak. How will they hear without a preacher? And if we know Him... And we know Him uh, in the intimate sense, through salvation, through a changed heart and life. Then we're equipped. Uh, we may not feel like we're as equipped as somebody else or whatever. God doesn't care about that. He's going to put you where you need to be. And He's going to give you what you need to be an effective minister. He's going to do that. He'll do it. So He speaks of the specific aim, their intent. It is a, direct, uh, a directive to Timothy to do this. He says it's motivated out of a heart of love, out of a pure heart. There's nothing, there's no agenda, there's nothing else except to be faithful to Christ because that's what will cure the problem. That's what will change their life, the gospel. And sometimes I think we, we fail to see the relationship of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ as it pertains to a myriad of problems and issues in our life. You know, I guess what I'm saying we just need, when we're, we need to run back to the gospel. That's where we check our motivations, you know. That's where we get recharged, re-energized to do and to deal with whatever is in our heart and life. Cardia, from the heart. He's talking about the person's mind specifically, their thoughts and their feelings. I jotted a quote from MacArthur here. He defines it as the love of choice, of course, and of the will characterized by self-denial, self-sacrifice, always for the benefit of others. And of course he says that kind of love is a mark of true Christianity. Being able to look beyond ourselves, beyond our own needs, long enough to see the needs for others and to put ourselves in a position to be able to deal with them. Now later when he talks about, and here he talks about his conscience, you know, he does it out of a good conscience, Agathos, a good conscience. Doesn't condemn him. He knows why he's doing what he's doing. Do you think there were any people in the church there at Ephesus when Timothy was there, when Paul was there before and then later, who said, well, you, you're just about yourself. That's all you're about. You're not here for God. You're, you're, you, want to be noted. you want to be noted. Okay, that's all you're about. Paul had been accused of all kinds of things, doing things for various kinds of favors. And I want to ask, where does all of that come from? How does that even get into the hearts and minds of people? 
And, and furthermore, how do people continually sit under the gospel of Jesus Christ and sound teaching, which was evident there uh, at least at one point in Ephesus? How did they get there? How is it possible that one group hears uh, the, the blessed gospel? It changes their heart and life. They warm up to that. That's what they get to. And then you have other people who hear the same thing and they never come. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of all kinds of things. Yeah. And they, they stray, and eventually the trajectory leads them farther and farther from the truth. Well, you hear that exact example, of course, when it's talk, I'm thinking where he talks about the, the scribes and the Pharisees. It says plainly they love the praise of men and all the things that their religion gave them access to. They love that more than pleasing God. They love that more than the Word of God. And it reminds us that the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, always necessitates a change in our life, does it not? It does. And we don't get there unless that is our desire. I love it what he says, when we seek Him with our whole heart, with all of our heart, with nothing wavering, then we find our way into salvation and repentance. Yeah. Right, and you're seeing the same thing in Ephesus. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting. It's like, I don't think we get that. That like when our conscience is screaming at us or whatever, it's because we're obeying some religion and of some sort. And is that the religion of dead works? Is that the religion itself? Or is that is that God? I mean, is it the Scriptures? Well, I think you're right in saying that the conscience is the, I guess you could say, is the medium for that. Okay, like I said, we've said earlier, the conscience is not the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not. That's not what it is. It's a faculty that's been given to us. It's a, it's a warning system. We've learned a lot about it so far. We know that it has to be uh, properly founded, built, built up rightly, which of course is to say upon the truth of God's Word. We know all of that. But all these little intricacies that you're, that you're working through, and you've mentioned these a couple of times, that's why these scriptures are given. I'm convinced. God wants us to know and understand how this works. And He wants us to be able, literally, to trust our conscience. That's, and that's why it's so important not to go against conscience. But we have to understand there's, there's, there's things that are not properly developed yet with our conscience, which is sometimes a matter of knowledge. It may be a matter of faith. 
whatever, wherever we are in our sanctification process. What's good is that we're seeking that, that we, and we're seeking it because it's in the Word of God. It speaks to us clearly. And this is what we're about. It's about being more Christ-like. That's what, what you say when you say that, Chris, is I want to understand this. I want to be more like Christ. I want to understand this. I want, am I, you know, I could go on and on, I guess, with the adjectives. But it, it reflects the heart's desire. And I can only say to you, God will grant that. He will grant that. That's what this is for. He will grow us, if you will, in that regard. We have to yield ourselves to it. We have to yield ourselves to it. So Paul sees that as important. And he uses this same terminology when he speaks of the conscience from his own heart and life. What he's desiring to do there is motivated by a pure love. It's motivated by a good conscience. And he says a sincere faith, one that is without hypocrisy. It's unfeigned. There's no other agenda. Live for Christ, live for the gospel, have a desire for that, have a desire to see souls changed for all time and eternity. Those are the things that must dominate in the life of a minister and in the heart of the church. That's that's the church's mission, okay? To be that light, to be that salt. And I had a verse here marked over in 2 Timothy. If you want to turn over there to 2 Timothy chapter... 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, and I'm going to read 22 (coughs) through 26 and get the picture this is kind of the other side of the coin alright this is what he's talking about verse 22 2 Timothy chapter 2 he says flee also youthful lust but pursue righteousness faith love peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, you see the same terminology here in verse 23. And again, more of the same, he says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient uh, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come Uh, to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captivity by him at his will. And once again, read that and keep that, receive that in context. He's talking about people who have adulterated the gospel. That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about issues that uh, hinder people from truly being born again. That's what he's talking about. So over in 2 Timothy, he's doing the same thing again. He's reminding Timothy of those things. So we'll move on by saying how important is it for us to remember the simple yet profound truths of the gospel and all that we do. Is that our motivation? Is that our motivation? In 1 Timothy again... But this time in verse 19, Paul goes on talking about holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, he says, some have made shipwreck of their life. What's going on here? Well, he's talking about faith. And you see the word 
faith there in the English in two different places in that verse. He speaks of holding faith and a good conscience. Then he talks about their faith being made shipwrecked. And it's, it's two different things there. That first faith, he's talking about personal faith, one's personal faith in Christ. The second time he uses the word faith, he's talking about gospel truth. He's talking about the faith. That's what he's talking about there. Okay? I've fought a good fight, the, a definite article. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. That's what he's talking about here. And once again, it centers around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm holding that faith in a good conscience. Once again, it's conscience bearing witness. He knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. Why would that, that simple, that simple thing right there, why would that be important for us individually? Why is it important to be grounded, to be firmly grounded in what we believe, and more specifically, what our motivations are. Why is that so important? To a minister or, or to anyone ministering, to a, to a Christian who's just trying to minister and help someone else. Why is that important? So we're not led astray. You're not led astray? What else? So that you can do the job because it's a hard job. Yeah, you have the, the confidence that you need. You know you're firmly granted. You're doing the the right thing, the right way or whatever. You know what your heart is. And even if you're not, uh, it's, it's, it's an issue perhaps of ignorance or something. It's not something that you're ill-motivated in. Okay, You've examined your own heart. You know why you're doing what you're doing. And you stand before God in that regard. Right? And you would say, hey, I know why I'm doing it. Correct me if you need to correct me. Uh, show me, give me a greater knowledge or whatever. You do that. Paul would say, and he did in 1 Corinthians, remember chapter 4, he said, I'll be judged one day. I'll get judged. He even said, I'm really not all that concerned about your judgment now. That's not what motivates me, Paul says. My conscience is clear. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'll give an account for it one day. Just like you will, he would add. See? That's critical because that's where your strength comes from. See, that's the, that's the supernatural power of the truth of God. Thank God this is the truth. Thank God. That's it right there. And when you stand upon that and you receive the Word of God in humility, you receive it not just to be built up but so that you may be used by God. He is your Savior. He is your Lord your life belongs to Him. As He said again in Corinth, you've been bought with a price. That changes everything. Changes everything. So He adds that. Yes. I was just reminded again, which I know this comes up in this book, of the quote from Martin Luther, where he says, I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience. It's neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Yeah. I mean, the importance of the Gospels to is to be so grounded and it's to give you strength to do the hard things. Right. When you have to be different, when you have to say this. Yeah. Thing. And keep in mind, Luther's issues were doctrinal. I mean, okay, we're, that's what they were about. Totally yeah, yeah, that's what they were about. But he yeah. still, he still yeah. had to be all in. I mean, I mean, Don't you know all, it? This is yeah. an all-in commitment. If you're going to go fight, if you're like on D-Day in Omaha Beach, and, you know, you, 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 you're, you better be well, committed to the cause. Here's the difference. They're coming for you. 
All right, they're coming for you. That changes things, doesn't it? That'll make the cream rise to the top, as we used to say in football practice. Yeah, it will. But the Bible speaks about that clearly. It doesn't even have to be something so you know, dramatic as D-Day. Even, I mean, I, I've had to go to my mother in the past. And, um, and you have a relationship with your mother, obviously. But if you try to, to cultivate a loving relationship with whomever you're going to talk to. And, I, and when I had to go speak with my mom about you know, my faith and about yeah. concerns about her, her faith, I had to have the strength of God behind that because that was a hard thing to do to go to a, a parent and yeah. talk to them about, I, you know, you need to repent. <laughs> yeah. And so if God had not been with me during that time and if I had not hold on, held on to God, yeah. that was extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. You need to talk to my wife. <laughs> uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, but that's 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 what that's what uh, that's why this was given. That totally fits with what we're talking about here, because uh, there's all kinds of things that, that work against us. There's a myriad of things work against us when we yield, yielded ourselves up to give the gospel, and that to me testifies of one simple truth: that as we'll see in a moment, the, the war is still raging. And even though this seems like a small thing, communicating with a parent, okay, or communicating your love for Christ, the truth of the gospel, with someone you know who's not going not gonna to gonna receive it, but yet you're compelled to go, you know. That's where you get your, your strength from to do. And that's what we're about. Hey, the more we focus upon that, the more we keep the first things first, Uh, we'll see the blessing of God in our lives. Don't misunderstand me. There will always be obstacles. There will always be uh, tests and challenges and so forth. But when it's all said and done, we want to be able to say this was our motivation. This was first and foremost. It's always Christ. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. We're talking about the church at Ephesus here. And you know the history here with Ephesus, right? We've mentioned it. Go to the Revelation and read it there in chapter 2. Hmm. They, they continue to struggle. No more church at Ephesus, okay? And you can't help but go back and look. This is a church that, that the testimony of Scripture says they were, they were big on doctrine. They stood up for doctrine. So what happened? What happened? I mean, they stood for the truth, yeah, but fine line, they forgot their first love. They forgot Christ. They forgot the sacrifice. They forgot the aspect of lordship in their salvation. Really? Yeah. We're supposed to be that close to Christ? Yes. Absolutely. That's the thrill of it all. That's the strength of it all. That's where we get the clear direction in our ministry. Well, he says, holding faith and a good conscience... By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck their life. What's he talking about shipwreck there? In context, once again, he's talking plainly about them straying from the truth of the gospel. That's specifically what he's talking about. I think sometimes we look at that and say, well, you've, you've damaged your testimony so bad that you're, you're no longer usable of God. That's, that's not spot on here with what he's talking about. Again, the context is the clear understanding and presentation 
of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's an apostasy. It's somebody who said they were this, they were that, but now they're not, okay? Even after having known the truth, that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, we added that Timothy must never let go of his trust in God and must always live according to his moral consciousness. It's from the book, page 37. He says, some have failed to do this and have destroyed their lives. He puts a quote in from John Calvin who said, a bad conscience is therefore the mother of all heresies. There is a connection between a bad conscience and apostasy. Objections to Christianity are fundamentally moral, not intellectual from John Calvin hundreds of years ago, but yet spot on. He talks of those who profess to know and believe the gospel. These are the people who were tried in their faith there in the church at Ephesus. They failed the test. As I said, their true colors were known because they deviated from the gospel. What do you think they opted for? in the church, these leaders, okay, perhaps uh, elders in the church, people who were allowed to stand up in the church and teach. What did they opt for? Why did they leave or fail to receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What was so alluring, having known the truth of the gospel, their own need of salvation? What was it? How did that happen? We touched on it earlier. Right? You go start naming them off, you know. Uh, the desire for control, did I hear you oh, say, Dan? Yeah, the desire for control. I mean, there is the... I know I battle this with my own flesh, that if I have a checklist of things I can do and not do, yeah. then I, you know, I feel comfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did it, done, okay, I did it. I, it's like I yeah. have control of saving myself by doing these things, and that's a comfortable place to be. It's putting your, making yourself vulnerable to all nuances of Christ and, and the, the, the gray areas and means of constant submission because I don't have control. It's much harder. That's interesting because I'm recalling uh, trying to share Christ with someone about their life. And this lady's problem, it was obvious. And she said something along the lines that indicated that that would require her to, to step way out of that, that box of control that you're talking about. She would be giving up too much, okay? She would be literally losing control of everything. And it's, it, it relates specifically to one's ability to repent and to let go and to trust God and say, God, I know what I am because they don't know what's after that. They don't know what comes after that. Jesus, uh, yeah. he, he wants to save his life. We'll, exactly. We'll lose it. Loses his life for his sake, we'll save it. Yes. That's ex- the same thing there. People do deal with that because that is their security. Their security, quite frankly, is themselves. Their experiences, what they understand. And who knows what, what circumstances of life, if just not evil itself, have, have forced them into that, that paradigm, if you will. And you've got you to pull them out of that. But that's what faith is. You know, I hate to use that phrase, let go and let God, but to a degree that's what we do. We, can't know, we can no longer rely upon ourselves. There's no faith in that. Why does a man yet hope for that which he sees? That's not, that's not faith. Not, yeah. on not at all. Not rely, rely, it's very un-American. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. We, we cultivate this, this, this attitude of self-reliance in our culture, which is fine for you know, studying hard and working hard, but not for saving 
That's true. Very true. Well, Paul moves on in 1 Timothy. Uh, and everybody knows in 1 Timothy, you go to chapter 3, you're talking about his uh, qualifications of bishops and deacons. And I want to move through these because they want us out of here a little bit early today. Uh, they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. <coughs> the Greek word mysterion, and you see that word used talking about the mystery of the gospel, mystery of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of Gentile inclusion in the whole process. Uh, regarding the rapture, you, you see that word used. He's just talking about those who know what they know. They understand it in the scripture and he shares that there and I'm not going to say anything else about that he just makes that application then 1 Timothy 4.2 is our last uh, verse in 1 Timothy and he speaks of uh, uh, he says that through the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared and that takes us to this word seared which we've talked about in relation to the conscience and how it works and you know how if you continue to uh, ignore your conscience, it loses its effective. That word is, and you can tell when I tell you the word in the Greek, it's uh, kateriazo, kateriazo, which we get the word cauterize. Okay, it's like taking a hot iron to something. And it's scar tissue, no guilt, okay, no, no remorse. Been there, done that too many times. I've squelched my conscience so many times over this issue. He says it's the conscience is now seared. And what allows these people, as he says here, the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared, in order for them to do that, they have no conscience. Have no conscience about what they're saying. And I won't do it now, but you can go to 1 Timothy 4 and read 1 through 5 to, to get the full picture there. And that leaves us just a minute to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I want to get through these, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. Now, he's not talking about his Jewish ancestors. He's talking about the ancestry of belief, those who believed before him. My ancestors, with a clear conscience, okay? Catharos, once again, uh, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. He's talking about that, that word. And he, he uses, he says it refers, when he talks about serving, it refers to a hired person to do menial, a menial task, menial labor, which reflects on the humility of Paul. That's what he's talking about. Uh, the word constantly, it's the same word over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and you'll be familiar with the verse where he talks about praying without ceasing. It's the same word there. Unintermitted, okay? Permanent, doesn't, doesn't change. This is a mindset. You can't drive a car, I found out, if you're praying too much. <laughs> You've got to be careful. Um, but he's talking about a mindset, Right? That's our heart. That's where we go to. David says, you know, you meditate day and night. It's a constant thing because we're filled with that need, with that power. We know that we're, what's the word? We're just, we're in tune. We're hooked up because we're our, our understanding of the word and the indwelling spirit. That's how we are to process life through the presence of the word of God and the Holy Spirit within us. Paul says, my conscience doesn't accuse me in that area. 